yeah, Eddie, Eddie Beasley is, was on the, was, his wife was on the pulpit committee. And this is when I first met him. I, I came for that first interview, and he said, to, he said, I'm not on the pulpit committee, but my wife is, and I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and anyway, so he's, he's a lot of fun. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. So you might have heard me say this before. I heard this old Tennessee storytelling preacher guy one time. It was um, on, a, on a summer evening in a little church in St. Louisville, Ohio. And he got up and he said, when I was a boy, pastors always had three points and then they told a story at the end. He said, I'm not sure I ever remembered the points, but I always, I always remembered the story. He said, then one day, one day, I was reading my Bible, and I realized that sometimes Jesus would tell three stories, and he would make one point. And he thought, I like that. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories, and he makes one point. How many of you, raise your hand if you ever write in your Bible. You raise your hand, I write in my Bible. If you write in your Bible, get your pen out right now. If you don't write in your Bible, get your imaginary pen out right now. We're going to read these three stories and talk about them today. Luke 15, 1. The first few words are very important. You will not understand the stories if you don't pay attention to the first few words. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That is Jesus we're talking about. Now the tax collectors and, and sinners, some of your translations read notorious sinners, they were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes circle this word, grumbled. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Say grumbled. Grumbled. I'm going to read it again when we get there. Everybody say grumbled together. The Pharisees and the scribes don't forget that. Circle that. Saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. So he told them a parable. Who is them? The Pharisees and the scribes. Who's he talking to? Don't be afraid. It's not a trick question. There may be trick questions later. This is not one. <laughs> Who is he talking to? The Pharisees and the scribes. Who's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes? Jesus. Jesus. Who's Jesus talking to? What are they doing? Grumbling. The Pharisees and the scribes are? Who's grumbling? This is very important, you see. So because of this, Jesus is going to tell three stories. There's a book in my library, one of my favorite books, it's uh, by a guy named Klein Snodgrass. It's a big old thick book called Stories with Intent. It's a study of the storytelling of Jesus. And one of the things he makes very clear, and it's clear in the, in the title of the book, is when Jesus told a story, he told it with intent. In other words, Jesus' stories were always solving a problem or answering a question that was posed right there. The problem here is what? The scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling because Jesus is, because sinners like to hear Jesus talk. 
and because Jesus eats with sinners and they're doing what they're they're grumbling so Jesus speaking to them tells these three stories the first story is a story that we call the story of the lost sheep you're right and the second story is the story of the lost and sometimes the third story is called the story of the lost son so the first story is the story of the lost can you tell that I'm gonna make you work today no sleeping in the house today wake your husband up thank you um, so the first story is the story of the lost this is important because you'll remember it the, the lost what and the second story is the story of the lost coin and the third story is the story of the lost and who is Jesus talking to and why you guys are sharp this is gonna be less than an hour right now okay so let's let's read the story so he told them this parable what man of you having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing say rejoicing Rejoicing. circle rejoicing when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them rejoice with me circle that Rejoice with me. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, at least in your brain. So the guy, he loses his sheep. He has 99, loses one. He goes and finds his sheep, and what does he do? And he invites all his friends to do what? To rejoice. Okay. I found my sheep that was lost. Then Jesus gives a little commentary in verse 7. This may be a key to the story's intent, right? And he says, so I tell you, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, more than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Raise your hand if you don't ever need to repent. Yeah, right. See what I'm saying? Do you think Jesus is being sarcastic here? I'm saying he's being sarcastic. He says, in heaven, there's more joy over one sinner who sees his sin God's way and turns from it, turns to God from his sin. More joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Right? This is Jesus' little commentary on his story. So what does God and all the inhabitants of heaven do when a sinner repents? They rejoice. What happens if the, what happened to the man who lost his sheep and found it? He and he had a big party so all his friends could all right, you're getting it. Now, there's another story here. There's the story of the lost sheep <laughs> and the story of the lost coin. coin. Yeah. Or a woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, which implies what did she do when she found her coin? She rejoiced, and she says, and to her, all of her friends, she says, come on over, let's have a big celebration, because I found my coin, valuable coin. She says, have a big celebration and do what? And rejoice. So in this, in these stories, who's rejoicing? The guy who lost his sheep is rejoicing. All the guy's friends of the found sheep is rejoicing. And the lady who lost her coin is rejoicing because she found her coin. And all of her friends are rejoicing. Say, all God's children are rejoicing right now. Yeah, you don't have to say that. I'm just kidding. All right. And so, and so, 
She calls together her friends. I found the coin that was lost. Now here's Jesus' commentary in verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Up in heaven before the angels of God, when one sinner repents, what happens? They rejoice. They rejoice. Do they grumble? No. When a sinner repents in heaven, they rejoice. That's the second story. Now, the first two stories are just little short stories. Who would argue with them? Who would disagree? I have a theory. It's just a theory. That some of the scribes and Pharisees, it's a theory, were motivated by personal gain. Their religious gig paid them. And Jesus appealed to their greed by, by saying, if you lost one of your flock, wouldn't you find it and rejoice if you found it? And if you lost one of your coins, they're like, oh, egads, I lost my coin. You know, I must find it. But when Jesus finishes these two little stories, and he gives these two little commentaries about what happens in heaven when sinners turn from their sin to God, then he introduces a long story with a twist at the end. Let's just read it together. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything when a storyteller tells a story and everything's working right there is what I call the storyteller's moment when everything gets really quiet and then sometimes things are introduced into the story that are shocking can you imagine Jesus talking to these predominantly Jewish people and these Jewish leaders who are very conscientious of the Jewish law and cleanliness and all of that. And he's telling a story about a son who was cherished by a father who takes his inheritance ahead of time. He goes over probably into Decapolis, into the far country, into the pagan place. This would have been the part where everybody goes, <gasps> and then he's with pigs. <gasps> And he's eating with pigs, eating with pigs. This has just been shocking. The storyteller's moment would have happened right then. Everything would have gotten very quiet. Jesus goes on, and this is the sweet part. But when he came to himself, he said, this is what repentance looks like, by the way. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Here comes the fun part. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And he said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Circle, celebrate. For my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to circle, celebrate. So that's the end of the story. Right? You saying I'm wrong? Say you're wrong. That is not the end of the story. Do you see what's happened here? Jesus, the master storyteller, is responding to grumbling Pharisees who are grumbling because sinners are coming to repentance. And he says, if you lost a sheep and found it, wouldn't you rejoice and ask all your friends to rejoice? Well, of course, and that's the way it is in heaven. When one sinner comes to repentance, there's more, there's more celebration over that than 99, you know, righteous persons that haven't repented yet. My interpolation of that, right? And then the next story is the coin. She finds the coin. She's rejoicing. She invites her friend to rejoice. Everyone rejoices. So it is in the presence of the angels of heaven when son, one sinner comes to repentance. And this story is just like it, only the plot thickens. It's a lot deeper. Now it's a lost son who's found. And so all the stories are exactly the same, aren't they, up to this point? Lost, found, rejoice, invite friends to rejoice. Everybody celebrates. Lost found, rejoice, invite friends to rejoice. Everybody celebrates. Son is lost, now he's found. Invites friends to rejoice. Everybody celebrates, right? No, wrong, because look at the next verse. Now his older brother was in the field. Say, he reminds me of the Pharisees. <laughs> yeah, careful, because you might find yourself a Pharisee. You never know. All right, now his older son was in the field. So this guy, we're going to find out, has two sons that in a sense are, are prodigal, right? One of them goes away into a far country, squanders his living, uh, his inheritance, and he's a sensual, probably sensual. He is uh, sins of the flesh, the kinds of sins that jump, you know, out in front that everybody immediately recognizes as very, very sinful behavior. But now you have this older brother who stayed home, and you're going to see there's kind of a sin of the spirit in his heart. So he, he hasn't indulged himself in the sins of the flesh, perhaps. But it's apparent that he doesn't have his heart in the right place in the story that Jesus is making up to confront the Pharisees about grumbling when sinners come to repentance. This older son was in the field, came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. He heard, if you like to dance and people tell you it's wrong, this might be your favorite verse, okay? So he, <laughs> he heard music and dancing. And, and, you know, we all know there's bad dancing and good dancing, right? I mean, you know, you know that, right? So this is good dancing. This is happy, joyful. This is, uh, this is the, in the story that Jesus makes up. He doesn't make up a story of bad dancing. So the older son was in a field, and he came to draw near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. I'm in verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, 
the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry. Circle angry. You catching this? So the Pharisees in verse 2 grumbled when sinners came to repentance. But everyone else in this story rejoiced when sinners came to repentance. You lose something, you find it, you have a party, you invite friends to the party. You lose something, you find it, you have a party, you invite friends to the party. It's like heaven. That's what they're doing there. Whenever sinners repent, there's going to be rejoicing in heaven. If you were a sinner and if you repented today, it would make all of heaven happy. If you ever sinned and you repented, there would be joy in heaven over that. If you want to make God happy, if you want to make angels happy, what do you have to do? All you have to do is receive his mercy, repent and receive his mercy. And the father, you know this, you've heard this taught before, better than I'm teaching it. You know, the father running, that's very unusual in that culture. Here's the father that's scanning the horizon and waiting for the repentant sinner. And he runs to embrace him and he throws a party and he wants everybody to come. But does everybody come? No, the older son who would be a very important person to have at the party is, is, is angry and he's grumbling. He refused to go. What happens next? Father is in a party and word gets to him. What happens next? Father goes out in the darkness of the field and he finds his beloved older son that he loves very much. Sometimes I like to talk, call this teaching how God feels about Pharisees. How God feels about self-righteous Pharisees. How God feels about people who haven't recognized that they too need forgiveness. They just see the scandalous need of forgiveness in other people. How does God feel about them? Does he just say, go to hell to them? No. The father does what? He goes out after them and he entreats them. He pleads with them. Here you have the father who shouldn't have to be begging anybody to come to this celebration. I mean, the smell of the food and the sound of the music and the dancing, that, that, that should be magnetic to a person's soul. There's a celebration. My brother who was dead is alive. He didn't go off into a far country and die. He didn't stay away from the family. He changed his mind and he repented and he came home. Now there's a party and, and it says, the father came out and entreated him, verse 29, but he answered the father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Get that? Pharisees were about obeying commands. Yet you never gave me a young goat. Now, wait a minute. So what the older brother is kind of saying is, I have served you slavishly without any joy for all these years, kind of. That's kind of what he's saying. I hope I'm not reading anything into this. I don't think I am. I think Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you kept you know, all these commands that you have, but, but the idea is you, you enter into a joyful relationship with me. It's not just about keeping commands. It's, it's about this relationship. And, and he says, I kept all the commands. You never killed a, a kid for me, a goat for me, never had a celebration for me. I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might circle the word celebrate with my friends. Verse 30. But when this son of yours came, 
It's interesting, he, and Jesus puts these words in his mouth. He doesn't say, but when my brother came, he said, when this son of yours, it's like when your kid is bad, it's your kid. Hey, your son did that. I'm like, didn't we have him together? I mean, it, you look a lot like the girl. I mean, never mind. Um, so uh, yeah, this, this son of yours, you, son of yours came who's devoured your property with prostitutes. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, did, is that what, does, does he know that? I mean, he just got home. Did he say, what did you spend your money on? He might have bought a Corvette. It might not have been girls. I don't know. You know, he says, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, this is the father, verse 31. This is the heart of it. This is, you know, when a storyteller's telling three stories and they're just alike and he's making one point and all three of the stories are exactly alike. Watch for the plot twist. Because the meaning of the story is going to be in the plot twist. What's going to be different? So he turns the plot. There's somebody not rejoicing. The only person in all of these three stories and in heaven who's not rejoicing is the older brother and the Pharisees. He goes out and he says, the the older son says to the father, you didn't let me celebrate with my friends, not including his brother as a friend. Now the father's going to speak, and this is the end, and this is the heart of what he's going to say. Imagine that Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees now. And what is he going to say to them? Is he going to be hard on them? Jesus is kind of famous for being a little hard on the Pharisees. But in Luke it says in verse 27, verse 31, he said to him, he's entreating him, right? He's pleading with him, son, you have always been with me. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. You're my boy. You've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. I cannot imagine having this party without you. Would you please come into the party? Would you please celebrate? Would you please be excited? about sinners coming to repentance. Pharisees, there's a party going on here. Don't you see it? Sinners are coming to repentance. Why don't you join me in rejoicing over sinners coming to repentance? What do you think God, what do you think Jesus, our Savior, would want Bethel to be excited about? Sinners coming to repentance. So we can start it here. And we can say, let me just examine my own heart and find any sin in my own heart and come to repentance and the party begins. And then after we have received mercy for our sin, why don't we go tell somebody else that story in a winsome way? Maybe we could pray for them. Maybe we could love them. Maybe we could invite them. Maybe we could tell them the story. And then they would join us in the party. And then the party would be even happier. The celebration would grow even larger. It would be like, build your kingdom here. In the mornings, uh, Saturday mornings once a month, uh, I, I have a little pretentious talk I'm giving to the guys. They're, they're really nice. They keep showing up for it. Uh, the, what it means to be a man... These guys who have been men, they're listening to me. What what it means to be a man. One of the first things we said was in Genesis 1, God invited Adam to help help him with his dominion. God doesn't need any help in his dominion, right, in his kingdom, because he's all-powerful. But he's allowing a man to join in his dominion, a co-regent. And by the way, if you look in Genesis 1, you'll see it's male and female, men and women together, co-regents. What I'm getting at is this. 
God wants to do what he's doing in the world, and it's good. It's kind of like a big celebration he wants to invite everybody into. And he, and he wants to do what he wants to do in homes and hearts and, and in churches. And, and he's inviting us into that. And, and when, we go, when we step into that, then there's like where a heart is given to God, that heart is, is a part of God's kingdom. God reigns in that heart. God rules in that heart. That heart belongs to God. And when a man and woman, they marry and they say, in this house, this is going to be a Jesus house, then the kingdom goes to that house. And that house is different than other houses because, because he's ruling and reigning in that house. It's, it's, it's in essence, it's like not the ultimate kingdom someday, not the 1,000-year reign or the, or the eternal kingdom, but, but, but the spiritual kingdom. And, and a church that, that where the people have repentant hearts, and where they go and, and they invite other people to receive the mercy that they received, then it's an expression of the kingdom. Build your kingdom here, right? Do, like, in our world is in rebellion against you, but we are not in rebellion against you. This heart is not in rebellion against you. This home, this marriage is not in rebellion against you. This church is not in rebellion against you. We're humbly submissive to you. We continually repent of our sins. And there's continual rejoicing because of this continual repentance. If you think the way out of your sin is to excuse it or to deny it, you are going to be damned. If you think the way out of your sin is to minimize it, it's, you're going to be frustrated all of your life. The way out of your sin is to repent and then the party starts. Get it? How cool is that? Now, let's go back to Jonah. Can you find Jonah? Here's something interesting. In the Jonah story, Jonah, he's told to go to Nineveh, and he flees to Tarshish. It's almost like the prodigal son, right? He, he, he runs, he goes into a far country, and then he kind of has a repenting thing, but then he turns back. And then in the second part of the story, after he cries out to God and he's delivered, then he goes to Nineveh, but does he have a right heart attitude? No, he doesn't. So in a way, it's like in the first story, he's acting like the younger brother, right? And in the second story, it's almost like he's acting like the older brother. And the stories end in a very similar way. Remember what happens? Nineveh comes to repentance, and then he goes out and he watches to see if God's going to judge them, and he doesn't judge them, and he's kind of grumbling about sinners coming to repentance. Should he have been rejoicing, of course. And what happens? God says to him, and then he grows the gourd, and then he kills the gourd. God kills the gourd just to kind of teach Jonah to, to, to learn him up. He kills the gourd, and then Jonah's like, man, I'm mad about this gourd. I love my gourd. And it, really, he says, I love that. The Bible says he delighted greatly in that, but he didn't care about Nineveh, sinners coming to repentance. So, so what should we care about most? Our, our little kingdoms of comfort that we're building around ourselves or the people that live in our town who are far from God? Shouldn't we repent so that they can see what it looks like to repent? So that we're not holier than thou, righteous, Pharisee, hypocrite types out, out in the field unwilling to come to the party. But we're, up, we're like serving the food. We're like, yes, he forgave me. And if he would forgive me, he would forgive anybody. When you get to the end of the story, I like to ask people in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, I like to ask people, how does it end? Almost nobody can answer this question. Well, I don't know. Huh. I don't know. And you know why? That is the trick question. Because it really doesn't end. It's kind of Alfred Hitchcock, right? It, it just, it's like the credits roll before we know 
did the older son ever go into the party or not? Do we know? He didn't finish the story. He, Jesus was the master storyteller. And he laid that at the feet of the Pharisees, basically saying, I don't know if you're going to come into the party or not, but you can hear the music. You can smell the food. You can feel the dancing. Jesus invites you into the party. What do you have to do to get in? Do I need to go over this again? <laughs> How do you get into the kingdom? Repent. You see your sin the way God says, and your mind changes about your sin. Do you stop sinning? Not altogether, no, because you have to be sanctified, God, to help you to progressively learn to stop sinning. But the way, you, the way your mind is about your sin is completely different now. You're, you're for God and against your sin instead of fighting for your sin against God. You, you believed in Jesus and repented. He gave you his mercy. Jonah, does Jonah ever get right with God here? We don't know. Does the older son ever come to the party? We don't know. Are you going to the party? We'll see. Something interesting in Jonah 4, Jonah says, I, I wasn't rejoicing, you know about that. I knew you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He, he half quotes a passage that occurs 12 times in the Old Testament. He half quotes it. This is the modern church is doing a lot of this. We talk about mercy, but we forgot to talk about repentance. We talk about a lot about mercy, and this is good, and God's love, which is good, and God's rewards, which is good, but we don't talk about God's wrath, that, not very much, it's not popular. Jonah does the same thing. I knew you were merciful, and I knew you were, didn't want to, to judge. He's quoting Exodus 34. Let's read Exodus 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, some believe thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. In other words, God offers mercy, but to those who repent. And those who don't repent, the effects of their sin will go on for generations. So are there any self-indulgent sinners in the house today? You've indulged yourself in things you know that are wrong and they've broken the heart of God. Would it be good to repent? Are the self-righteous sinners in the house today where maybe you don't have the overt fleshly sins that are obvious to everybody, but there are attitudes that, that, that really you're not a very good advertisement for Jesus. Some Christians are not a very good advertisement. I, I'm just saying, and it's not because they're getting drunk and carrying on with somebody else's wife. It's because of their attitude and their spirit is censorious and ugly and unattractive and not magnetic, and that shouldn't be you. I, can I just say that gently? You don't want to be the older brother out there. You don't want to be the younger brother. You want to repent and go to the Father. You want to go into the party. I got an email from a girl named Vicki, a woman. I think of her as a girl because I knew her in high school yesterday. Just behaving myself sitting in my chair, watching a football game, plucking on my computer, and an email comes in from Vicki, who remembered me saying something harmful to her when I was in high school. And she said, you know, you did this, you said that. 
And that was a long time ago. And she's found me on Facebook or something, and so she sent me an email, and, she's, and I wrote her back. I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, why did you want me back? I said, I didn't write to shame you. I'm like, well, <laughs> you kind of did. <laughs> I'm just glad your life has taken a better turn or something like that. And I got to thinking about that. So now what if everybody I sinned against wrote me an email this week, back over the years? I would have a full inbox. What if everybody that I sinned against that I said something unkind to or had a bad attitude or I was selfish or self-centered or thought about myself and not them or I lied or, or I lusted or I took something that wasn't mine. What if, I, what if all those emails started coming in? I got to tell you, I was thinking about this morning. I, I started thinking about some other things I've done wrong. You should never think about things you've done wrong as a Christian without thinking about them in the light of the cross. It's dangerous to do that, but, but you should think about them in the light of the cross. Oh, God, thank you that you showed mercy to me without it. I deserve, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you could just give me anything to eat out in the barn, that would be fine. And then when I start stumbling back to God, he's waiting for me and he sees me on the horizon and he doesn't wait on the porch. He runs to me. He runs to me and I've wasted, wasted all of that. And he runs to me. i read you a story. A young man was talking about his failure in pornography and temptation, and he wrote this. His name's George. I was a very young Christian, and I was in Indianapolis, and I was passing out tracks outside a striptease show. But the show's billboard caught my eye, and soon I was seated in the third row watching the show. And within a few minutes, a rush of emotion hit me and I realized where I was the evangelist with his pockets stuffed with tracks oogling young women as they took off their clothes one piece at a time I ran out of the club to a bus station nearby and I went into a phone booth I needed to pray but I didn't want anybody to to know it so I picked up the phone and I called out to God oh God I'm so sorry please forgive me please forgive me I didn't feel forgiven but I I knew his promise to forgive me and, and so some minutes later, I told myself, okay, I'm forgiven. Thank you, Lord. And I left the phone booth. But after that, forgiveness comes the condemnation. The accuser said to me, God can't use you. You're a failure. You're a loser. You failed God. George says this, before I could say anything, a man walked up to me. And I was expecting him to ask me the time or, or directions. But he said, I think I... I think I saw you earlier, weren't you passing out religious pamphlets? And then he started telling me his troubles. And after a few minutes, he says, do you know if there's any way that I can be forgiven? And he said, within an hour, we knelt by the war memorial in Indianapolis, and this man surrendered his life to Christ. George says, I, I would never make up such a story. Satan wanted me in the strip club going deeper and deeper into the degradation of lust and porn. His backup plan was to have me wallowing in the anguish of the phone booth for the rest of my life. But, God's, but by God's grace, my repentance and receiving forgiveness by faith, I got back on God's plan and he used me to lead this man to the Lord. And if I ever needed evidence of forgiveness and restoration, I had it. 
I could go on and tell you some other stories about this guy, George, who, who struggled for a number of years still kind of stumbling back into pornography. And you might think, well, whoa, what a loser. But George kept serving the Lord. And he didn't quit. He went to, to Moody Bible Institute. And when he got out of Moody Bible Institute, he, he started a little missionary organization uh, in the... In, uh, the, in the mission organization, he started to go to other countries of the world. George Verwer is his name. George Verwer started a mission organization that went to hundreds of countries and involved thousands of people. And he was used to the Lord. Because that's the way it works. When a sinner comes to repentance, there's a celebration. Maybe there's something in your life that you need, that you can take to the Lord and say, you know, this is a fleshly sin against God, and I, and I repent. Or maybe you're so distracted by other people's drunkenness and struggle with porn or, you know, those big red-letter kind of obvious things that you have overlooked altogether that you're really still standing outside in the dark and you haven't come to the celebration. And you kind of feel smug and self-righteous. Be careful because... Jesus, when he would talk to legalistic, you know, Pharisees, he would call them blind guides. Think of the folly and humor of that. Blind guides. If I want somebody to guide me, I want somebody who can see, right? But people who are in bondage to self-righteousness often don't see it. You know who does see it? God sees it. You know who else sees it? Self-righteous sinners see it. Why did I go to Jonah? I went to Jonah because I would like to aim this beautiful church that I love so much at the city of Jackson. I would like to aim Bethel at Jackson. And if we are self-righteous sinners, they're going to smell us coming, Right? But if we are repentant sinners ourselves and we go, we're no different. We're just a different form of sin, same kind of brokenness. Do you realize this? We will not identify with the rest of Jackson because we watch the same television programs or because we all like NASCAR or don't like NASCAR or we all root for the same football teams. That's not going to work. But we're going to connect with people because we all it, we, we will connect with people if they feel in their soul that we are broken because of our sin. They'll go, I get that. But if they think that we're trying to save at arm's length, then the results will be not So here's the point. I would like to do what Jesus did with his three stories. I would like to invite us to the celebration. I think maybe, Eddie, here's, a, here's an idea. Why don't we sing that song again? Why don't you guys come up here and that whole band and all that craziness. And the reason this has got all kinds of instruments and all kinds of fun, two reasons. One, because Bethel is just that zany, zany. And number two, because this is a celebration. And I would like you, when the, when the band gets here, we're going to sing this song again. And while we're singing, here's what I'd like to, like to just say to you. It's like, you are welcome, you know, welcome to the celebration. Your sins are forgiven. 
God has given you mercy. He killed the fatted calf. Give you a ring for your fingers and shoes for your feet. You're part of the family. You're part of God's forever family. You wouldn't ever want to say to anybody, I, you can't come in here. This is an exclusive club. This is just for me and it's not for you. This is the celebration. Think about this. As, as Bethel Church, if we, if we step into the celebration in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own church, who knows, who knows who we can reach for the Lord, who really could use some good news. Amen. Hey, stand together, would you? Let's stand together as a church. Volume up and let's uh, celebrate as we close today. Come set. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. On our made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. You can play your pew. We seek your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives for your joy and prize. To see the captive hearts released, the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church. We That's all right. Okay. 
Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hands. Heal our streets and lands. Set this church on fire. Win the nation back. Change the God, this is a prayer that we lift and a praise to you. We want us, we want you to instill in us your spirit and to help us to reach out to others, to set the captives free, to heal the sick and the hurting. God, help us to be a part of your kingdom building. Do it here and do it with us. And God, as, as a team of people come forward, we know that we have to be a people who are repentant. And so, God, work in our spirits. And if there are people here now that, that need to repent things, either privately or to others, would you draw them forward by your spirit? Would you, would you prick their hearts and say, Lord, there are things I need to get right with you. We are no different than anyone else in Jackson. We are sinners, and we are saved. And God, as we repent, forgive us. Help us to come alongside people because of, of a repentant heart and a humble spirit. In the name of Jesus, we go forth, building your kingdom. Amen. You are dismissed.